0: Kubernetes community and welcome back to another episode of the uh, Pod Control uh, podcast. Um, it's the you know kind of couple times a year where we have something in that's new in the Kubernetes uh, ecosystem, specifically Kubernetes releases. Uh, so Brian, uh, I think we're going to kick it off and, and talk about uh, one point eleven.
1: Yeah, one point eleven. We are what is that? That makes us about two and a half years old for Kubernetes. I think uh, so. This you know the eleventh release, or what's that? maybe I guess almost like the twelfth release if you consider zero release. So yeah, it's making a lot of progress. Um, you know, it's. I think we still, we, we still have this weird sort of back and forth in the industry. You know, this week I saw an article uh, from somebody who you know made a big deal about well, we're starting to see the industry starting to split up between you know the do-it-yourselfers and the time frame of do-it-yourselfers and, uh, you know, things that, that last a little, you know, that take a little longer than, you know, two days to get things out the door. And I sort of went out and looked and, and, you know, kind of try to figure out like, okay, how realistic was that? Um, and it's interesting because now that we're a bunch of releases in and, and obviously there's a lot of companies that rely on Kubernetes, um, it was interesting to go. I sort of mapped out, you know, a bunch of the different cloud providers and a bunch of different vendors just randomly. And it seemed like we're trending longer. Um, uh, you know, like GKE is now two plus months out and, um, you know, OpenShift has is, is always been about three or four months and, um, you know, even new releases like like uh, like Pivotal's Kubernetes service uh, is, you know, three months out and uh, Rancher is like two and a half months out. And so, you know, I think we're going to find that things take a little bit longer than, than we get to. And especially when, we, when there's not tons and tons of new features in every release. But uh, I think it's good for us to keep up with the releases, but it's also good to have a little perspective on, on you know how to manage the frequency of this and how to have expectations of of people managing the frequency of it.
0: Yeah. And I, I think what I what I like about it is that you where you see sometimes is, you know, the downstream people, whether it's yeah, Red Hat, Rancher, Pivotal, whoever, uh trying to change the upstream cycles for that reason, uh, to make their lives easier. I think we saw that a little bit with OpenStack and some of the things where this is too fast or not fast enough or um, what I like here is, hey, the upstream, the upstream is chugging along at the at the rate they seem appro- they feel is appropriate, and then um, it's up to uh, us folks in the downstream to adjust that as possible. You know, how long does it take? Skipping releases, all that s- stuff for us to figure out uh, if it makes sense for our users. So I think that's yeah. a, that's sort of the good combo.
1: Yeah. So, well, cool. Listen, um, why don't we why don't we dive into what's in there? Um, you know, this is this is another one of those releases where. I think it's very much in line with with the rest of the releases. Um, you know, a couple of features move to GA. Um, lots of things move into sort of beta or tech preview. Um, but uh, what were some of the the things that sort of jumped out at you as being maybe some of the the more important ones, whether they're going into GA or or, uh, or beta? Uh,
0: well, w- one thing I want to mention, you know, before we even go into the specifics of the individual releases, is just I we've talked about it before, but kind of the, what those things mean: alpha, beta, uh, yeah. GA is is you know when it goes GA, it's it's supposed to be stable, um, but it's it can vary based on what's being built in the groups where. Uh, things in beta might not, you know, reach what they're comfortable with to call it general availability, but the API may be stable enough um, that some people downstream are comfortable with using it already. Uh, sometimes people take stuff that's that's alpha and they and they release it to their users as GA, and then that that thing goes away or changes pretty dramatically. And now they're they're on the hook to carry it, so uh, it, you have to look at each individual feature if you're looking at something that's pr- sort of pre GA. Uh, so it's not definitely stay away from it, but um, it varies by, by feature to feature.
1: Yeah, no, actually, that's a that's a good reminder. I think the other um, sort of reminder on that is people sometimes have an expectation that, well, okay, if it, if it became beta, let's say in 1.11, for example, I think sometimes there's an expectation that in the next release, well, it'll get a little more soak time, it'll become GA in the next release. And that's not always the case. Um, there are some features that have stayed in um, you know, on a pre-GA release for a period of time, um, or like you said, they got rethought. And um, so, yeah, be a little bit careful about that. The other thing is different services um, and different implementations will uh, may or may not have all those features enabled by default. So, like, for example, um, I know uh, GKE, I haven't looked in the latest release, but GKE used to... Um, you know they used to support the ones that were GA and maybe beta, and but they would allow you to use the alpha features. Um, they were sort of there, available to you. Um, I know in OpenShift, we don't turn on by default some of the alpha features or the you know some of the tech preview ones. Um, you have to turn them on just because. We're not really sure whether you're going into production or, or, you know, test and dev or something. So kind of be aware of that as well is that, um, you know, you may try and get to a feature and it may not turn on automatically. Uh, you may have to twiddle some bits to be able to get it to work if, uh, if you're looking for a specific early release.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's the key is, you know, keep those things in mind when you're looking at the individual features. Um, yep. Specifically, kind of the big things were first the stuff that moved into GA, uh, core DNS, so, so, which replaces kube DNS, and we can dig, dig into that. Uh, and also, the new in, in cluster load balancing service, the IPvS based one, uh, which replaces the old uh, IP tables based one, is now uh, fully GA. Uh, it's, not in, it's, it's still not the default, uh, but it's fully GA, so you can use it for your production use cases.
1: Yep. Yeah. And I think we talked about some of this before. We talked about, um, you know, core DNS coming, coming into play, um, you know, fix some security things, some performance things, um, that were there before. So there are some, there are some very good write-ups, um, in the show notes that, that have some articles, uh, from folks. Talking about this, uh, talking about some of the testing that was done, um, some of the scaling work that was done. So, um, yeah, good to see that become GA. I mean, you know, DNS is one of those things we sort of take for granted, um, but it's uh, absolutely a critical part of how Kubernetes finds services and obviously helps route your traffic. Yeah,
0: I think I think the key thing to me on Core DNS too is uh, Kube DNS was obviously like uh, Kubernetes sort of integrated. It was in the project. Uh, it was it was a little it was more complicated. Uh, so the idea was it was rethought as core DNS and also split out. It is not part directly part of Kubernetes. It's its own CNCF um, project. It's much more lightweight. It's a single, you know, written and go, a single process, single executable. Uh, so it has a lot of flexible use cases it can handle. Um, but at the same time, it, it's much more purpose built and and slim slim down. Uh, and I think this model makes a lot of sense for a lot of things. Of you know, we you do keeping. Keeping, um, you know, the core Kubernetes bits from getting too, you know, too broad and too scaling. It's like, hey, does does DNS really need to be part of it? No. Okay, let's split this out and do this a different way. So I think that's it's sort of a, uh, you know, confirmation that that model works.
1: Yeah, and that's another thing that that people are going to want to keep an eye on going forward is, you know, how many things stay in the core Kubernetes project and how many things that are just frequently used. Um, sort of track Kubernetes. So, you know, this is one that the people will obviously keep an eye on. Uh, you know, things like Istio, they get talked about quite a bit. You know, people have to remember that while they're almost always talked about with Kubernetes, you know, it's a project that's outside of, of Kubernetes. And it's, uh, you know, in the same vein as things like a container registry, right? You're not going to do Kubernetes without a container registry, but there is no container registry within Kubernetes. So just always another thing to sort of keep in mind as you're tracking releases, tracking release numbers, all that sort of stuff.
0: Yep. Um, the next one is dynamic kubelet configuration it is now in beta. Uh, so if you're not familiar, the kubelet, that's the part that runs runs on the nodes. Uh, that's what Kubernetes talks to, you know, talks to etcd, or excuse me, the um, you know, kube API to etcd. Um, the way it runs right now is a lot of the configuration stuff is command line arguments. Uh, so if you're using systemd or whatever to start it, you have a, you know, a string of command line options. So if you want to change those options... Uh, it's, it's editing your service file then and restarting the service. So, um, if you want to make configuration changes, it requires basically restarting Kubernetes on that node. Uh, so obviously that's not ideal. So what this is, is the ability to store the Kublai configuration, uh, in, in a manifest. And then that way they can be changed live without restarting, uh, the nodes, so you can use the API server to say, "Hey, or let's. I want the Kube, I want the Kubernetes, you know, on this particular node to be configured this way," um, which is specifically really useful. Uh, and I think where there was getting a lot of escort was um, bare metal use cases. So if you're just doing uh, bare metal nodes that are running your your Kubernetes commands, you really don't want to be restarting the Kubernetes services. You probably have a lot of uh, pods on it, so uh, this is a way to do that.
1: Yep. Yeah. And I mean, definitely an area where, you know, more and more as, as people are scaling things out, they want to be able to just uh, sort of manage them more uniformly as opposed to we do this stuff on the nodes and then we do this stuff sort of at the Kubernetes layer and so forth. So um, the beginning of tying, tying those things together uh, much more closely through the Kubernetes API, which is good.
0: Yeah. The the last, I would say, big uh, new thing in this release is uh, we've talked about before CRDs, custom resource definitions. Uh, so again, the thought process in uh, the kube community was we want to keep the core small and, and focused about people are definitely going to want to extend it with other capabilities they, they may have new use cases we didn't think of we want to have a, a good way for them to programmatically add that without forking the code and doing a whole bunch of different stuff or, or other crazy things so they came up with a thing called custom resource definitions uh, which basically allows you to add new things that are become kube objects so that way you can use them as you would anything else. Uh, for example, this is the type of stuff that allows you to do things uh, like we've talked about previously, like kubevert, where you're going to use, you're going to manage VMs with Kubernetes. Uh, so CRDs allow you to do that. Uh, with this feature, um, what they've done, two kind of big things one was versioning. Uh, so that's important. So if you're building some something that uses CRDs, you want to be able to version them to, so that way, you know your uh, apps that are using the CRDs in the API know that they you know can check for version compatibility and things like that. And the other thing is. Uh, the sub resources status and scale. So the idea there is to be able to integrate with monitoring for those um, custom resource definitions, as well as other high ability type uh, stuff. So, you know, de- depending on what you're integrating with Kubernetes, it's, it's now just making it way easier to uh, plug in and have it act much more like a native Kubernetes object without having to be part of the native Kubernetes code base.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I know like our team that's working on, uh, on operators is really excited about this. I know, you know, as we talk to um, like ISVs, third-party companies, they're building operators, which obviously is, we believe a direction that that a lot of this stuff is going to go over time. Um, you know, it makes their lives somewhat easier. It's, they can, you know, get, get into a normal versioning model, like they were used to with their release of software, they can align the operator versioning number to that, um, you know, the other, another area where this will come into play—that's not operators—we're um, seeing a number of the the serverless or or functions as a service frameworks are being built um, for Kubernetes on top of the CRD. So it's another way that uh, that obviously will will come into play because they're going to want to allow people to know what versions align to to Kubernetes and so forth. So good stuff, very very good stuff. Um, I notice there's a few other sort of things, and again, this is this is where we get into um, you know how big is a release, how, how much stuff comes out. Um, there were some new enhancements to, um, the, uh, the container storage, uh, interface or, or uh, integrations. Um, there were some enhancements made to CRI, CRIO, um, for being able to do, um, you know, integration between Kubernetes and, uh, and the container runtime. So, you know, definitely a few more, um, you know, lower level infrastructure types of things that are evolving as well, which is yeah, great.
0: yeah. And the uh, some new storage features too, like uh, being able to resize persistent volumes, um, and there's also ability to change uh, the maximum volume counts, uh, sort of on the fly instead of you know hard coded. Uh, those are both alpha features. Uh, so you know, going back to the beginning, hey, you may want to take a look at it, play with it, but uh, it's 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 brand new stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And it almost, you
1: know, given, given how quickly the Kubernetes uh, releases are coming out the door, you know, it's almost something that maybe what you're doing is you're, you're setting up, you know, almost like some alpha clusters to periodically play with, you know, get the new bits on that, use those as, as excuses to, to get better at how you automate the system. How do you automate updates and things like that? Play around with some of the new things, you know, keep it out of Keep it out of production, Um, maybe not even introduce it to your your core set of developers so they don't, you know, tie them their processes to things that might go away. But, um, yeah, I mean, if there's things that that look interesting to you, um, you know, find find a few servers or, you know, spin it up on on the cloud or something like that and, uh, you know, kind of keep it off the side. Know that, hey, you you may you may like it. You play with it for a few days and, and, you know, a quarter from now, that stuff may become much more stable and you can look at uh, how to roll it into into, you know, more. Yeah, I mean, I was,
0: I was talking to um, a user about this a few weeks ago. It was specifically with Istio, where they said, "Oh, well, it's it's just like tech preview now, so I guess we're not going to do anything with that till it's till it's GA." Like well, it's not like just some feature flag you turn on, you know, Istio equals true, and then everything works amazing, right? It's it's a thing you use to build applications, and and so it's like, that's that's exactly how I laid it out for them is, hey, we well, should have a tech preview cluster for your you know developers and and DevOps and Ops people that are you know sort of always looking at the cutting edge stuff to start playing with it and figure out how they're going to use it. Because I mean, how many times, even from a software development perspective, do you uh, start with one idea in your head of how an app's going to be built or whatever, and you have some learnings and things break and you figure it out and you adjust and you rewrite. I feel like that that's the advantage of having some of the stuff as a tech preview. You're not going to, you know, lock in. This is exactly because some of the things may change, but here, here's a chance for you to start playing with it, gain, gain some comfort level and starting to have some problems with it and, and figure out how it's going to fit. So then when it is GA, you can then introduce it to your normal dev and, and prod clusters and, and already have a pretty, pretty good comfort level with it.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's smart. And I think, um, you're right. I, I, people are making these assumptions that, uh, you know, some, some thing that is an entire project is going to come out and it's just going to be like a turn it on. And, uh, you know, some of these things are, are fairly complicated. Some of them are pretty simple. You'll just turn them on. Um, but others, you know, it's going to take you some, some time to not only understand the technology, understand the uh, you know, the nuances of, of what it does. And, you know, this is part of the reason why, uh, for example, we do these things like learn.openshift.com where, you know, you take Istio, for example, if you go out to, to the learn page, um, you know, there's a whole bunch of examples that are sort of tutorials. They're they're structured for how you can learn this stuff. Might be worth going out there, spending some time with that first kind of understanding, OK, how does this thing structured? How does it sort of work? How can I play around with the commands? see what the outputs look like? You know, and then turn that on. And and like we said, some of your like alpha clusters and see what you want to do with it. Figure out, you know, where you want to introduce developers, where you want to introduce workflows into it. So, you know, definitely take advantage of the various resources that are out there to help you. And, um, you know, it's definitely something that people are getting used to. Kind of what are the what does the pace of these releases mean um, in terms of how it's going to impact their ability to to learn to do upgrades to communicate internally to their teams that there's new features and functionality and um, but uh, you know it's all good it's like you said it, it keeps coming out and people can decide what they want to turn on what they want to turn off yeah and, yeah I think that's, that's the nice that's thing about it
0: whether it's you know you're using upstream or a distribution or or a service is yeah try and try and keep that stuff to your you know, it's not even your development environment because if your developers are using your development environment, but then it doesn't exist in test or, or prod, you're going to have a lot of problems. So more of a uh, experimental uh, environment to to start getting comfort levels with all these technologies. Yep. Yeah. Well, listen,
1: man, that's this good stuff. Um, you know, like we said, it's always we always want to do one once a quarter to let folks know that, that new releases are out and some of the things to go take a look at. Um you know, folks, as always, uh, you know, send us your feedback on on the show. Uh, we'd love to, if you're running Kubernetes in, in any of your environments, we'd love to hear about your environment, how you're dealing with, uh, you know, new features, how you're, you know, using it to change your business. Send us some feedback. All the details are in the show notes. And, uh, you know, Tyler, I think with that, we'll probably wrap it up for the day. And, uh, folks, as always, thanks for listening. And we will talk to you next week.